0: Good morning and welcome again to Carolina Family Church. I didn't think I introduced myself earlier, but my name is John and I'm the pastor here. And we're in a series called Uphill Habits. And uh, we've been talking about this problem that we all face, and that problem is that we all have dreams, we have hopes, we have aspirations, but we struggle to achieve them, and a lot of times feel like we're falling short or falling flat. And and this is the problem. It's best demonstrated by a hand motion, so I'm going to do the best I can with a mic in my hand, but it's like this. The problem is we have uphill hopes, but downhill habits, right? We have uphill hopes, but we have downhill habits. I don't know about you, and you and maybe you're a better person than me, but I can say that's true for me. I have a lot of downhill habits, and the, I'm never going to achieve what God wants me to achieve unless I can shift those downhill habits into uphill habits. And so we talked about the importance of that in the first week of the series. That's a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the importance of communicating with God, prayer, and how important that is, because... If, if we aren't talking to the one who has the plan, we're never going to achieve the success in the plan. So we talked about the uphill habit of prayer. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit. I want to start by talking to you a little bit about identity. And you'll see where we're going in a minute, but that identity matters. Let me tell you a little story about me. Um, when I was in middle school and high school, I was not what you would call athletic, I'm still not, as you can tell, but I wasn't then either. You know, I shopped in the Husky section. That was the deal. And so uh, I made my way in music in school. So I was in all the choirs and the shows and all this kind of stuff. Well, I decided that that wasn't making me cool enough. So I had an opportunity when I went to college to change my whole identity. You know what I mean? Like it's a fresh start. These people don't know me at all. I get to be whoever I want to be. So I decided that what I wanted to be when I got to college was an athlete. I don't know where I got that idea, certainly not from looking at myself, but somewhere I thought that if I was an athlete, I would make my way better when I was in school. I wasn't concerned with being a student, wasn't concerned with music, just being an athlete. So I went and I got the right shoes and I got the right shorts and the right shirts and, and I ran all summer long getting ready for college. And when I went to college, the first place I asked for was the gym. Where's the gym? Tell me where the gym is. And so every single day I would go and I would play basketball. That was, that was my sport of choice. It's my favorite sport to play. So I would play basketball every single day in the intramural room because um, I wasn't on the team, of course. But I would play in the intramural room. And any day that I wasn't playing in the gym, if there was nobody else there, I would either just shoot by myself and practice or I would go to the gym and I would lift. And I got in the best shape of my life when I was in college and I had all this stuff. And the, here's the thing about identity. It's that who we want to be will determine what we want to do. Okay, who we want to be will determine ultimately what we do. And not only did I get all that stuff and order my schedule around it, but more importantly than anything, I surrounded myself with people who wanted to be the same. So I just surrounded myself with all the guys from school that wanted to go play basketball every single day. So that's what we would do. We'd always be playing basketball or baseball or football or something, ultimate Frisbee, you know which I couldn't stand, but they loved. And so uh, we would play those all day long every day. My GPA suffered, right? But I surrounded myself with those people. Those are the people that hung out with me. Ultimately, I joined a fraternity with all people who were going to chase after that same thing. We played all the intramural sports, won a bunch of championships, all right, D-League, but we still won a bunch of championships. And uh, I fit into that mold of being an athlete. Here's here's the reality of our lives. All of us choose who we want to be and then who we want to be determines what we do and who we surround ourselves with. We choose our identity. And then ultimately what our identity does, our identity drives our community, who we put around us. Identity drives community. So you think about that. That's, that's true across the board, isn't it? Like if you decide that you want to be a businessman, that's what you want to be. I want to be a businessman. So what do you do? You wear khaki pants with polo shirts, right? And you you tuck them in. And, And you learn how to play golf, right? Because you want to be a businessman. And you get a job in that field. And you surround yourself with other people who look like you and who think like you and who act like you. And you build your whole world. You live in the right neighborhood and you drive the right car. And you surround yourself in this world where everybody looks like what you want to ultimately be, right? Or Or say you decide um, you want to be a country girl, okay? <laughs> you want to be a country girl, you know? grits, right? Girls raised in the South. That's what you, you want to be. And so what do you, you got to go get the right boots, right? And wear the right jeans. And you got to have your hair done just the right way with the right ringlets, you know? And you got to have a cowboy hat and you got to go to the right concerts. And you got to have a big truck, but not too big, right? Because it can't be bigger than your boyfriends. But you, you, you go and get yourself a big truck and you surround yourself who are like that. You wear trucker hats and you do the whole thing, right? Because that's your identity. That's who you want to be. So that's who you surround yourself with. Like even the people who think that they're outliers in society, like I'm gonna be an original. Nobody else is gonna be like me. You know? I'm not gonna to conform to society, so you just become a hipster. You know? And you hang out with other hipsters. And so you, you tight roll your jeans at the bottom and you wear plaid shirts like this one, and you and you grow your big beard out, you know, and you 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 know, you just you ultimately end up looking all we all end up looking the same. We end up looking the same as all the people around us. We are all unique, but in a society, nobody's an island. And so you, we end up surrounding ourselves with the people who are what we want to be or who we think are. And a lot of the times, and this is what the, the reality that we need to face, the reason that we have downhill habits is because we have downhill relationships. And the reason that we have downhill relationships is because we have a downhill identity. Because we haven't chosen yet the uphill identity, and we haven't surrounded everything in our life around that chosen identity. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. Because we become the company we keep, we need to keep the company we want to become. Because we become the company we keep, we need to keep the company that we want to become. And if we want to move uphill, if we want to identify what God has designed as the plan for our life, if we want to achieve that hope and we want to achieve that dream, then we need to link arms with people who have chosen the same so that we pull each other, we drag each other uphill as opposed to dragging each other downhill. Uphill movement requires uphill relationships. I think Proverbs 13.10 puts this really, really well. Okay, Proverbs 13.10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. Or, um, as Jeremy mentioned, if you got the YouVersion app, it'll be right there in your notes. All right, and uh, for the record, Jeremy, I am a note taker. We exist. We're rare, like Sasquatch. We're rare. Every now and then, you catch a blurry view of us, but <laughs> do you take this. Anyway, um, so Proverbs, I'm just giving you time to get to the verse if you have your Bible. So um, Proverbs 13.20, okay, Proverbs 13.20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. I, I I'm not sure I need to do a lot of explanation on that verse, because I think we all know it's true. I think we've all seen that in our life. And interesting, you know, of course, the Bible's not written in English. It's this particular passage, Proverbs, is, is all written in Hebrew, and Hebrew is a beautiful language. Um, and, and the words in Hebrew really do more, I feel, a little more than English does, where they, the words in Hebrew actually give you like a word picture. It's more than just a word. It's, it's like a word picture. It's, it's an idea. It's a feeling that you get when you read a Hebrew word. And the word walks with doesn't literally mean like walk with. Like if you walk next to a wise person, you're going to become wise. That's not what it's talking about. The word here in Hebrew gives you the idea of linear motion towards a destination, linear motion towards a destination. So this is not just about walking with somebody. This is about being on course with somebody, being on the same trajectory with somebody else, that when you link up heart, mind, and life with people who are wise, the result is you become wise. Whereas if you are a companion of a fool, you suffer harm. And, and the word there for suffering harm is this word that means to, to break apart into pieces. To It means to shatter. So So if you walk with the wise, if you do life with the wise, if you link up with the wise, if you align with the wise, you will ultimately become wise. If you link, align yourself with the people who are moving uphill, you too will move uphill. But if you are a companion of fools, those who are obstinate, who reject, who choose their own path, it will end up shattering you and who you want to become. So we need to choose very carefully who we put around us. To move uphill, we need relationships with people who are moving the same direction. And if our goal is to move uphill and to achieve God's plan for our life, then we need people that are moving that same way. So what I want to talk to you today is about the habit. Last week we talked about the habit of prayer. Today is the habit of fellowship. The habit of fellowship. And fellowship is more than just spending time together, and it's not just a hall attached to the church building either. It's a it's a thing that we do. It's a community that we enter into. It's where we are with other people, and fellowship is when it's like it's like you um, it's like you combine, like you like you um, align your your mind and your heart and your purpose and your focus. And it's like we are just coming into community with each other, coming into fellowship with each other. We are gathering together. And it's like we've all turned in the same direction and are pointed at the same goal. That's what the habit of fellowship is about. So we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 10 today. If you have your Bible, we're going to read a few verses here. It's the only place we're going to be for the rest of our time. So if you can go ahead and take the time to turn there and uh, not be afraid, I'm going to jump away from you. But um, Hebrews chapter 10, That's uh, toward the end of the New Testament, if you're looking for it. And we're going to learn how to have fellowship. What is fellowship and how we have fellowship with each other so that we can move uphill. All right, let's start with verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what's that confession of hope? We're supposed to hold fast to this thing. What is it? That confession is our belief in what Jesus Christ did for us. We we have to start there. We're we're never gonna, we are never gonna move uphill if we haven't, if we're not holding fast to the confession that we have. And that confession is that we believe what Jesus Christ did for us. We believe that, that we're sinful, and because of that, we're disconnected from God for eternity. But that God, in his great love, sent Jesus Christ to earth, his son, took on human form. He died on the cross for us to pay for our sin. We believe that. And our hope is not just in his death. Our hope is in his resurrection, that on the third day, he rose again in power and victory, which is why he has the name that's above all other names. And because of that, we can be forgiven. that that the penalty of our sin, which should cause us to cower before God, to be afraid of God, to fear God, to fear judgment, that Jesus Christ will take that off of us so that we can be free and so that we can walk with him. And when that happens, when we hold fast to that confession and we say, that's my life, that's everything, it's everything I want to be, it's everything I want my entire life, my entire personality, everything centered around it, what we are doing is we are choosing a new identity. To say that for the rest of my life I don't want to be everything that I thought I wanted to be. For the rest of my life I want to be a child of God, the best that I possibly can, and that's my new identity. And that identity needs to trump every other identity because here's what happens: all of us have multiple identity crisis. Okay, all of us have multiple identity disorder because we want to be an athlete, but we also want to be a singer. But but we also but I'm a I'm a well I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, or I'm an independent, and I'm also, I also work at this company, and I'm also, I also listen to this kind of music, and I also have these kinds of friends, and I'm also a father, and I'm also a husband, and I'm also a liberal and a conservative, and I'm a, I'm a blank, 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 I mean, fill in the blanks. We're all these things. We have all these little sub-identities. And the problem is none of these identities completely sync up with each other. So we're faced with all of these conflicts where we have to choose which identity is our primary identity. Because if I say I'm a Christian, and that's my primary identity, all these other identities at some point are going to come into conflict, and I have to choose which one's going to win, which one's going to submit to the other. Like, okay, this might be a shocking statement for some of you. Um, If you say that you're a Christian, and you're a Republican, those things don't completely sync up with each other. (laughs) Let's, let's be clear about that. And if you're, you say you're a Christian and you say you're a, a Democrat, those things don't completely sync up with each other, all right? There are, gonna, there are conflicts between those things, and then we have to decide which one's going to win, which one do I really want to be, which one is my primary identity, and am I going to bring that other one into submission to it, or this is more often what we do, how can I fuse those two things together? When you fuse things together, when you fuse identities together like that, rough things happen, all right? A lot of conflict happens, and the the reality is you end up being neither of them, some sort of weird hybrid in between, but you end up being neither. It's like like if I said, I really want to be a rock star, but I also really want to be a hip-hop star, and I decide I'm going to fuse those things together, what I get is rap-rock fusion. It's not good. Right? I mean, you, you you might think that's a good like, you might think that's a good thing. I don't. But you know, you what you end up being, you end up being neither—not a good version of either one of them. Right? Just a marginal version of both. And and we don't want that for our life. If we're going to move uphill, then we need to be the number one identity, pure identity, child of God, Christian. That's what I'm going after. That's what I want to be. No infusion of anything else. Everything else comes in submission to that thing. And if I choose my identity as a child of God, then I can move uphill. We have to hold fast to our confession because God is faithful. All right, He will follow through. We are his child. He has forgiven us, and we have great hope ahead of us. So let's look at that hope purely and not mix it with anything else. All right? You can't be both. You'll be one or the other. So choose a child of God. And what happens is when we choose that as our identity, then we need to surround ourselves. And I don't mean exclusively. I don't mean just like, don't talk to anyone who's not a Christian. It's not that. I'm talking about our most influential relationships, the people who are influencing us. We need to make that group of people people who have that same common identity. that will help us move in that direction. And, and the thing is that um, common purpose is one of the cornerstones of a healthy relationship. If people say, how, do, how, do, how does a marriage work? Well, in a marriage, you've got to have a common purpose. If you don't don't have both of your bows aiming at the same target, you're just in for a lifetime of struggle and frustration. You you have to be aimed at the same thing. If you're not aimed at the same thing, it's going to cause all kinds of problems. But if you are aimed at the same thing, you can get through a whole lot of problems. Common purpose, and then underneath it I would say common values, are the cornerstones to making relationships work. So if I want to hold fast to my confession, I need to surround myself and be influenced by people who are holding fast to their confession of the same. Um, right before Jesus is, uh, is crucified, he spends time praying. And uh, in Scripture, we call it the high priestly prayer. But Jesus gets alone by himself, of course, uh, and he, he prays. And he prays for his disciples, which is really moving because they're they're there and they're tangible. But then he prays, this is in John chapter 17, if you want to reference it later. After that, he prays for everyone who would believe because of their message. So he says, Let me pray for my disciples, and then let me pray for everyone who's coming later. Who's coming after that? Guess who that is? That's us. So in scripture, in John chapter 17, we literally have a prayer where Jesus is praying personally for us and corporately for us as a church. And he says this. This is his prayer. God, I pray that they would be one. God, I pray that they would be one. As you and I are one. Jesus said, I, I, I want them, everybody who believes because of the disciples' message, everybody who believes, everyone who comes after this, I want them to be so united that it looks like the unity between me, the Son, Jesus, and you, the Father. Like That's the kind of unity that he wants to see. And why does he want to see that? He tells us in the prayer. He says, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Jesus, Jesus says in, in, in that prayer, The people believing the message, believing the confession of our hope, is predicated on our unity. Our ability to be of one heart and one mind and one message and one body and one spirit who is over all and in all and through all. That that we need to be on the same page, moving in the same direction, moving uphill together. And that when we do that, then the world will believe that he sent Christ. It's very, very believable. Here's what happens when we aren't of the same mind. When we, when we're full of like fusion Christians, okay, we're full of or or Christians who have chosen other identities over being a child of God. What happens is that people walk into our church or they see us in public and they go, "Mm "Mm-mm, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem like the Jesus I've heard of. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that I see when I read Scripture." They don't believe it. Scripture says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So we cannot be double-minded. We need to hold fast to the confession of our hope. And when that happens, we see what happens in verse 24. All right, verse 24, Hebrews 10, 24. What are we supposed to do? Hold fast to the confession and let us consider how to stir up one another, right? Stir up one another to love and good works. The habit of fellowship that we need to encourage, that we need to stir each other up. That, that uh, other translation uh, uses the word spur one another on okay? Stir up is not like, it's not like just like a good game, like, you know, hey, good job, buddy. Go get them, you know? It's not that. Like, I love the, I love the passage that says, um, or the, the translation that says um, how, to, how to spur one another on, because you think about like spur and a horse, that's not a pleasant thing that happens, is it? And if you horse, Anybody ride horses out of curiosity? Yeah, not, a, is it, it's, Lydia, it's not a nice thing, is it? <laughs> when you spur a horse, I mean, you're digging something sharp and metal into that horse to get him to move. You know, and and what our job is if we're gonna hold fast to this confession together and we're gonna move uphill together and we're gonna link arms and we're gonna do this, is that we gotta we gotta spur each other a little bit, you know? That's not that's not a sweet thing, that's a challenging thing. That's a that's a push thing that we need people in our life who hold the same confession as us who are spurring us and we're spurring them and saying, Hey, you gotta get this thing worked out. Like when when there's sin in our life, we gotta be able to say, and we gotta be able to receive the message. You gotta cut that out. You need to stop. We need a thick skin, all right? To, to handle a spur, a horse needs thick skin. To, to handle fellowship that the Scripture talks about, we need some thick skin, because if we're going to move uphill, we're going to do that to each other. Another really great translation of this word is the word irritate. We need to irritate each other, and not in the bad way, right? In the good way, where we... We are willing, even when we're having conversations with each other, to say things that are challenging in such a way that it rubs us the wrong way, and we get that kind of like that little pride thing that kind of wells up in us, and we're like, ooh, I don't like that. We have to get the kind of mentality where we say, no, this person is helping me move uphill, so I'm gonna take it and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to listen, and we're going to encourage each other towards love and good works, and we're going to push each other. This is not, this is not a good game. This is a trainer up over you saying, one more rep, one more rep, and we've got, to, we've got to have people in our life who are doing that for us and pointing us in the right direction, other people who have hold fast to the same confession that we do. And, and if I don't practice this habit of fellowship, if I don't choose this personally, then I'm going to surround myself by influencers who are moving the same direction as me. I will be ineffective at moving uphill. We all will be. So we need to do this. We need to practice it. It reminds me a little bit of a Spartan race. You ever watch a Spartan race? I've always wanted to do one of those things. Um too much of a wuss. And, uh, I'm not athletic like I tried to be once, (laughs) but uh, they're showing them on TV now even. But um, you notice at the end of a Spartan race, there's always a wall, right? Like the angle wall and everybody's muddy and and you can't climb up the wall because you just slip and fall down and they have to work as a team to climb up to the top of the wall. So what they'll do is they'll push one person up to the top and they'll grab onto the top and another person will grab their legs and kind of climb up their back and get up over and they kind of form this human ladder. But it's, it's kind of awkward to watch, honestly, because there's men and women on the team in a lot of cases and they're like all up in each other's business and climbing all over each other and pulling on their clothes and all this. And it's, it's a little hard to watch, but, but they get over the wall. And the only way they get over the wall is by grabbing onto each other, by scratching and clawing and creating a ladder and having teamwork and pushing each other on and encouraging each other. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And I, I was watching that a couple weeks ago. and I thought, what better picture of the church is there than that? That that's what we're doing. And we're not trying to get to salvation. We're trying to achieve the purpose God has given to us because we have salvation. Right? But we're scratching and clawing and climbing together. That's what we're supposed to do. It's the habit of fellowship. It's not just stirring up other people, which some Christians think is their job, but it's also being stirred up ourselves. We have to be willing and humble enough to do that. And it's a little uncomfortable, I get that, to challenge someone or to be challenged. But the more uncomfortable we we are with it, the more change it's going to make. and The more uncomfortable we are with it, the more it probably means we haven't made it a habit. Because when it becomes a habit, we become more and more comfortable doing it, and we become more and more comfortable receiving it. So we need to make fellowship a habit. Now, how? Let's let's talk about the how. This is in um, verse 25. It says, Not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit, there's the word, the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this word "meeting together," what does it mean? It's the Greek word episynagoge, okay, which um, has the word "synagogue" in it. That might sound familiar to you. Um, synagogue was a place where the Jews would meet; they would meet for prayer and for the reading of the word. And it's a meeting place. It's a it's a it's an assembly of Christians together. Don't don't neglect that. We do it every single week here, right? Christians. I was I was struck. Um, this morning, as I was praying this morning, spending time in prayer, getting ready to come in today. And uh, I was just struck by the fact that while we're worshiping here, there are thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of maybe millions of churches across the United States, across the world that'll be worshiping, that'll be saying, that'll speaking the word of God all at the same time. And there is power in the assembly of God's people. And and if we aren't making the assembling together of ourselves a priority, how could we ever expect to hold the identity that we hold and expect to move uphill? So what we're doing right now, this is fellowship. And so coming and being a part of your church service every single weekend is a part of the habit of fellowship. It's a habit. Week in and week out, I do this every single week unless something tragic comes up, and then I hope my church is coming to be with me, right? Right? So this is a habit. It's something we do regularly. It's a rhythm. We practice it, we practice it, we practice it until we practice it to the point that it feels weird not to do it. (laughs) And Jess and I went through a season... Uh, church is a habit for us. We do it every single week. And um, we moved to another state and for about three months didn't have a regular church home. And and we would jump here and there. We were going to some churches in the area and checking them out and figuring things out. But there were some weeks we would just stay home. And I got to tell you, for me, because it's such a habit to be in church, it felt really weird (laughs) to just be at home on Sunday because it's a habit. It's what we do. And there's no place I would rather be than gathering with the church together to worship and to hear God's word and to serve together like we do. But it's got to be more than just a weekend gathering. The meeting together is not just a once a week thing, because that's not enough. I mean, I can't call my church service when something goes wrong at 3 a.m., you know, and, and it's just I can't call the worship leader necessarily. He may not pick up. I need people around me who are, know my situation, who know my life, who can help me move uphill. And so we have to have a group of Christians, a group of people who we've surrounded ourselves with that we're meeting with regularly so that we can be encouraged and spurred on and prayed for and cared for. It's vitally important. We just can't be what God wants us to be without a group of people like that. And the more you make it a habit, the more it becomes a lifestyle. So I want to encourage you to immerse yourself in it. Um, so, one of the ways you can do that, I just want to tell you some of the ways you can do that here. Um, we have teams of people that serve every single week in our services, which is the teams here are amazing. And you may look at what we do and be like, man, it's got to be a lot of work to set up and tear down. It is a lot of work to set up and tear down. And the first question I always get from people, they say, "Well, how old's your church?" Well, we just started in March, so we're brand new. We're, we're brand brand new, just just a baby. And um, they're like, "Oh, well, where, where's your building?" I'm like, "Oh, we meet at the middle school, at Irwin Middle School." And the first thing I'm telling you is always, "Well, when are you guys get in a real building?" <laughs> I'm like, "I don't know." I don't. I don't have any plans for that right now. We're in a lease for a year, so we're here. We're here until next March for sure. I don't know what's going to happen after that. But that's always. That's always the first question, and um, and then we get in a conversation. Well, what is it? What's it like meeting in a school? Well, it's you know, it's tough because sometimes the air conditioning doesn't work, and and uh, so I mean, and you never know. I mean, stuff happens, and so um, yeah. I mean, we got to set up and tear down. There's a lot of work. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's a lot of work. But it has done something for our church that would not have happened had we had a building from the beginning. It has given the people of this church the opportunity to link arms and to serve together and to work alongside of each other every single week. And to You, you never believe how close you get to someone when you're putting up pipe and drape, you know? When you're rolling carts around and jumping out of the way and, and, and figuring out a system and being a team. There's this fellowship that happens as we're setting up, which I wouldn't trade for the world. Like, I don't, I don't, when I, when I put stuff in the balance of being here in a school or being a permit spot, I don't know how it weighs out, but I, I kind of like this. And so it's a great place to have fellowship with other people. And then we're also uh, have groups that meet here during the week. Uh, they don't meet here, obviously, school meets here, but we meet uh, in people's houses and other places and we're getting ready in a, in a few weeks to start a new round of groups. And we're going to have, uh, call it a semester of groups. And we're going to have a men's, two men's groups, in fact, um, a women's group. We're going to have a married couples group. We're going to have a singles group. And we're going to have a student group. All right? So there should be a group everybody here can plug into. And here's what I want you to hear clearly, though. You don't have to be a part of one of our groups to be a part of our church. But you need to have a group of people if you're a Christian. So whether it's here or not makes no difference to me whatsoever. Although I think it would be amazing if you were part of a group here because it's kind of like you get everything in one place. Everything works together. You know, it's like software. I don't want one software that does this and one software that does this and one software that does this. I want one piece of software that does the whole thing, you know. And if you're a part of one of our teams and a part of one of our groups, then it's all in one place. And so everything's working together and it talks to each other and it all makes sense, right? So I want to encourage you to plug into one of those groups. Um, I'm actually meeting Tuesday night with the leaders of those groups to do some training and to talk about what our plan is. So those that semester will kick off here in a couple um, of weeks. If you're interested in doing a group yourself, uh, leading a group, I would love to have you do that. So just find me um, after we're done here today, and I'll invite you. I'll give you all the directions, the details. You can come join us on Tuesday night and just check it out and figure it out and see what we're doing and so, see if that's something that you want to do. We need to be in community. Part of the problem is that when we're not in community, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to downhill attacks. Um, who's more vulnerable? Is a is a platoon more vulnerable or is a lone soldier in a field more vulnerable? Well, it's the soldier in the field, of course, right? Have you ever uh, thought about, have you ever researched why uh, why zebras have stripes? It's not so they can look pretty and so we can make... Awesome Zubas pants from the 1990s. If you remember those, I had a pair Buffalo Bills Zubas. That's right. I don't have them anymore. Just for the record, <laughs> although I wouldn't mind another pair. Uh, no, you know why they have they have stripes? Because when uh, when a zebra is in a herd, they are indistinguishable from one another. They become just this mass of black and white stripes. A, a predator that comes up can't tell where one zebra starts and the other one begins. So it's, it's intimidating. So what a predator does, like a lion, will come to a... Do lions hunt zebras? Am I right geographically on that? Okay, so um, if a lion were to hunt zebras, he's going to come and he's going to chase the... He doesn't attack the herd. He's going to chase the herd because he can't, he can't distinguish. Uh, probably she, right? It's the, it's the female lions that go out and hunt. So she can't distinguish between which, which zebra is which, so they just chase the herd and wait for one to peel off. Right? A zebra in a herd is safe. A zebra on its own is lunch, (laughs) okay? A Christian in fellowship is safe, but a Christian on their own is lunch. So we need to surround ourselves with people who are influencing us towards the goal, the common goals that we have. It's not safe out there alone. Our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour, all right. I don't want you to get devoured. I don't want to get devoured. And uh, I want you to think correctly about what we're doing here, too. Because I, I fear that the church in America has become a social club that people join instead of a family that people have fellowship with. And I don't want to be the former. I want to be the latter. When, when, when God gave us the vision to start Carolina Family Church, it was not the vision to have a service on the weekend. In fact, the first thing God told us is, I want you to impact families in Salisbury, in the, in the Rowan County area. And we said, okay, how do you want us to do that? And I believe God told us that he wanted us to assemble a group of people that would work together to do that. And so what we're doing here is, this is not, I want to clear something up. You know, we talk about our mission statement. It's to follow Jesus, to build families, and to serve our community. That, that our church is not a church for families. We're a church that is a family and has the agreed mission that we're going to try to impact families in our community. That's what we're doing. And what I want to encourage you to do is to embrace that, and to jump into that, and to jump on board with that, and align with us, and to be here with us every single week when we worship together as a family. And to join, if you don't have a group of Christians who are influencing you uphill in your life, to find one here, to jump into one here. And like I said, in a couple weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity to sign up for those groups and to be a part of the community the fellowship with us here. It's what we need. You can make this family your fellowship. And what I want to do, I just want to pray and I want to ask God right now to help this sink down into our hearts, to make this a habit that we follow until it becomes a lifestyle and wraps up our entire identity. That begins in our heart, in our desire, and who we want to be. So let's pray about that together and we'll see what comes out of it. God, I thank you so much that you love us enough to send your son for us. We do not deserve that, not in the least. We've not done a single thing to deserve salvation. Scripture says no one's good. No, not one. I, even, if we've, even if we have a laundry list of good deeds that we've done in our life, we have sinned against you. We have rebelled against you. We have turned our back on you. We have chosen ourselves as God over you as our God. And for that, I speak for myself and for so many in here, maybe for someone for the first time, we say, God, I'm sorry for that. And we recognize that our true identity is as your child. But that to embrace that identity, we have to accept forgiveness. We have to accept salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And so maybe there would be someone with us today, maybe, maybe one of you sitting in the room, that, needs, that you want to accept salvation today for the first time so that you can have the weight of sin taken off of your shoulders so that you can be free of that guilt, free of that shame, so that you can face God with your head held high. And to follow him with your whole life, knowing that he has forgiven you. He has redeemed you. He's restored you to what he designed you to be. And that today you would say, Jesus, forgive me because of your death. You have the power to do it through your resurrection. And so now forgive me and fill me with your spirit. And today, take yourself and turn in a new direction. To say no more downhill, all uphill from now on. I'm following God's purpose for my life, God's plan for my life. That all that many of us in the room, that all of us in the room would be saying this in our heart together. I want to move uphill, God. I want to experience your hope. I want to experience your plan. I want to be all that you designed me to be. And so help me to remove all those downhill habits that right now, God, you would you would convince every single person in this room of the community that you want them to be in, the people that you want around them to influence them, to push them uphill, to link arms, to pull together, to think together, to feel together, to move together in a linear motion towards a destination. And that destination is your plan and your purpose for our life. Show each person in the room individually who that group of people is. Maybe it's one of the groups here at the church. God, lay that group right on their mind right now that they would they would be thinking about that in this moment, that it would be just kind of grabbing at them and pulling at them and then give them the strength to follow through on that. If it's not one of our groups, God, that you would put the people's faces in front of their eyes, the people who are going to encourage them and surround them and spur them on, irritate them to uphill hopes. God, I just pray that you would give us confidence that we are walking with those people and not companions of fools. And so, God, I just pray that you move through the power of your Spirit in our hearts to show us exactly how each of us responds to this need for community as a follower of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.